0: Welcome to the Options Save Lives weekly live stream, where we spend an hour each week exploring life-improving topics through a lens of alcohol recovery and the Sinclair method. Every week we take on a new question, topic, or common challenge to empower people to either build a better relationship with alcohol or to eliminate it completely. Episodes are filmed live on Twitch at twitch.tv/c3foundation and the audience is encouraged to ask questions and engage with the host and guests. The Options Save Lives weekly stream is hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and is produced by the C3 Foundation with the support of R Street Institute and other generous sponsors. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Options Save Lives weekly live stream. Sorry for the delay this morning. As you can see, we're having some issues getting Claire's uh, video going. But uh, I promise you she is here. And um, unfortunately, you'll just have to look at her her photo for the day instead of uh, being able to see her her live smiling face. So as always, I am Jenny Williamson, Executive Director at the C3 Foundation and your host for the next hour. How is everybody today? We're broadcasting live from the C3 Foundation office here in Fort Myers, Florida. Love to know where you guys are watching from today. And if you are a first timer to the stream, welcome. Uh, Say hello in the chat, let everybody know you're here. So this week we're gonna talk about the power of play in recovery with Claire Cazier, one of the coaches at Your Sinclair Method Coaching. We wanted to talk about this today because so many people share the common concern that they may not have anything fun or joyful to do in their life if alcohol isn't a part of it. So if you guys have any questions while we're talking or suggestions that have helped you personally Please put those in the chat box and we want to keep things as interactive and as fun as we can today. But before we jump in, let me properly introduce our guest. So Claire was present at the birth of the Sinclair Method when she received intensive training in London from Dr. Sinclair soon after the treatment's introduction in Finland in 1997. She is certified in the psychology and therapy of addiction by the International Association of Therapists. She lives and works in both London and Los Angeles with knowledge of the differing cultures and medical systems of both the U.K. and the U.S., and she can coach patients in either country. So, everybody, welcome Claire to our stream. Claire, go ahead and say hello so we can make sure everybody can hear you.
1: Okay, hello, Jenny and everyone and apologies for the video, (laughs) video glitch. Um, We don't know what's gone wrong, but I appreciate everyone bearing with us and I told Jenny I even put lipstick on at 9am in the morning to greet you all, but this is the way it is and we'll just deal with it and continue.
0: All right. So usually we start off with an easy icebreaker. So since today's topic is play in recovery, what is your favorite play thing to do?
1: Oh, my gosh. I love dancing. If someone said just go have fun right now, I would just go dancing.
0: Very cool. Um, Yeah, I play disc golf. So it's one Ah. of those things that can give me some exercise while being outside. Yes, yes. And
1: it's very addictive, the game of golf, in its own good way.
0: Yeah, well, disc golf is kind of similar, except everything's measured in, thankfully, feet instead of yards. I can't imagine (laughs) having to throw the distances that a regular golf course has. (laughs) That's my kind of golf. (laughs) So when we were talking about um, topics you first brought up that you wanted to talk about the power of play and creativity and having fun. So what exactly is the role of play and imagination and creativity in the Sinclair method?
1: Uh, Well, if you actually take it even down to very basics, when we come into this world, everything is new to us at first. And the only way we learn is through play. So babies don't even have language skills yet, but they can play innately, they can play. So the fastest route to learning is through engagement, having fun, playing. We bring that over into learning extinction, letting our brains learn extinction, incorporating it into the Sinclair method, and through having fun and repetition, your brain is actually hard at work learning, but it's not going to feel like dredge work. You know, AUD is such a serious thing, but it doesn't mean that the solution to getting out of it has to be so serious.
0: And one of the things that... um That I do want you to keep in mind as we're talking today is we have a lot of spouses, support systems, girlfriends, boyfriends that are helping their loved ones on the Sinclair method. So when you think about play, how can someone in a support system use this to also help their loved ones, uh, not only with the Sinclair method, but to build a better connection through play between the two of them as their loved one goes through recovery?
1: That is such a great question, Jenny. Um, Really one that a lot of people don't think of when they think of having fun (laughs) or playing because usually the loved ones around, you know, they have a certain level of stress or anxiety about their loved one doing this method rather than abstinence but when we play there's a part of our brain that releases natural opioids and it actually supports the foundation reinforcement and maintenance of positive healthy new habits so if you are playing with other people i.e your loved ones your support system whoever it is you're reinforcing those social bonds within that group so If your default maybe was to previously share drinking as an activity with people, let's get you doing some shared activity that's going to take the place of that, that's fun, that's releasing opioids and supporting the social bonds. So it can be playing board games, playing cards, learning a new sport together, um, Taking a history class, you know, maybe adult education, something you can do together that's going to release natural opioids, that's going to bring you together in a shared activity, which will naturally increase those social bonds, but doesn't involve drinking.
0: And how does somebody incorporate play when using the Sinclair method?
1: so many ways. And, and this is actually where it can be really helpful to have a see-through foundation coach help you because often people who are in the throes of it can't see the wood for the trees. And so when you start going down that route and you ask them, you know, what did you enjoy doing as a child and a teenager and what's your lifelong dreams? And you have to start exploring other areas. You have to take it into the imaginative realm. You know, if you could imagine having an afternoon free, what would you do? Like you'd asked me at the beginning, what do you do for fun? You know, and a lot of people have forgotten as adults what they want to do for fun. And it helps to have that third party come in and say, you know, what's fun to you? What do you like doing? Or throw out thoughts they may not not have even considered before.
0: Yeah, because we do see that a lot in the peer support groups is that people get overwhelmed with the thought, especially when they're about to approach their first alcohol-free day. And many people, if you were to ask them what what would a day look like if you had the afternoon free and it didn't involve alcohol? A lot of people would just flat out say, I don't know. I have no idea what that would look like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have to take them back to a place of what did you like to do when you were a kid? Did you like movement? You know, did you like playing sports? Did you like reading? Did you like building doll houses? Um, you know, what would you do when you got together with a group of friends? And it's just, you have to open a lot of doors. You have to get curious, you know, taking it back when you said I was there at the sort of inception of TSM outside of Finland, I did have the, the privilege of knowing doctors David Sinclair and Roy Scappa, and they both share the most beautiful quality, which is curiosity. And without curiosity, there would be no Sinclair Method. You know, they were very drawn to that childlike thing of, well, what if, and what would happen if I tried this? And what would that lead to? But in every area of their lives, they had that. And that's what leads to discovery. And they made it fun because they were having fun with it. They found all these wonderful things. And when you're dealing with, People who are going through TSM, they have to find it too. They have to get curious. You know, you're curious, Jenny. You wouldn't be asking me questions if you weren't curious. You wouldn't be doing any of this if you weren't curious. And that's what everyone has to find within themselves.
0: So would that would you say that that is harder for someone who started drinking earlier in life? Because would that put them at a disadvantage In trying to find that initial curiosity and creativity and fun if they started drinking when they were in their early teenage years?
1: No, not at all. Because as I said, babies come in and they're learning through play. That is innate. That is built into our evolution. And, you know, I'm sure all of us can remember the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or sorry, my singing is is terrible and I won't won't uh, torture you too much, but do you remember like one potato, two potato, three potato, four? This is how we learned um, heads, shoulders, knees and toes, you know, all of that. If that was there at the beginning and you were having fun as a little kid doing that, which I'm sure everyone was, I watched classrooms of little kids and they're all smiling and laughing and really into it and engaged. You can tap into that again.
0: So how do you really get started, especially if you find it overwhelming? If you have had, uh, let's face it, after years and in a lot of cases, decades upon decades of addiction, you can feel like the life, like life and the universe have kicked you in the teeth quite a few times. and. Things don't feel fun anymore, so how do you how do you really get started with that?
1: Mm-hmm. You can just take one small bit of your life and say, hmm, I'm gonna get curious, why do I drink, uh say every Saturday afternoon at two pm? Ask yourself that one question, why? Well, maybe because I've always done it. Does that mean I often have, you know, you start down that road. Does that mean I always have to drink at 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? What could I be doing instead? Could I take my Naltrexone and maybe start to drink at 3 p.m. instead and do something for that one hour? Could I maybe start a card game? Could I maybe build a model, play with Legos, whatever it is? do something that's fun and engaging. It doesn't have to be super duper fun, like going to a a comedy show, but even playing solitaire, you're engaging your brain in a different activity. And you'll get a little opioid release even from that.
0: Well, and I know I've heard people who have decided to learn new languages or Mm -hmm. learn a new musical instrument. Um, And... To do things like that um so how does all of this help somebody stick with new habits because once they
1: find something that's giving them that reward and the motivation and then reward it starts as i say to release opioids and they'll want to do it again and again and again you know no one starts out wanting to run marathon thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much fun. And there's no pain involved in it. Of course, there's pain involved in it. We all know that we're not stupid, but they're rewarding themselves along the way. You know, if I can just run to the end of the block, that's a huge reward. If you make it, if you've ever tried anything like that, and you make it to the end of the block, you get that little bit of a release and a reward. And you have to reward yourself along the way. And you'll think when you get there, you're suddenly you're like, okay, I'm going to make it to the end of the next block. And you keep going. It's the same with incorporating all of this into TSM. Reward yourself along the way, and you're more likely to keep going. So reward yourself for not drinking between two and three, pat yourself on the back and say, oh my God, I did that. So what would happen if I stretched it next time to 3.30? You know, just little tiny increments, build, build, build.
0: And uh, it's interesting that you talk about rewarding yourself because I hear a lot of people in the early stages of the Sinclair Method, they are still struggling to break the instinct to reward themselves for a good day or for an alcohol-free day. By drinking alcohol later on and in a and sometimes in more of a drink through the now type of qual- quantity so let let's dive in a little bit more on some of the ways that rewarding yourself with non alcohol related rewards can be helpful both in the short term and in the long run Mhm, absolutely. They're drinking because it's a learned
1: response. It's a learned reward system. If you had learned that you like to go out and, I don't know, shoot hoops after a long day at work, right? If you had the basketball hoop there and you drove into your garage and that was your reward system was to get out of your car, put the day behind you and start shooting hoops, that's what you would do. So, for people who have gotten used to drinking, as they're back, I'm going to back up a second here, because that's releasing opioids, right? You're shooting hoops when every time you make a basket, you're getting a little bit of a release. Therefore, the behavior is rewarded. You keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Now, alcohol has become that your version of shooting hoops. So, what we want to do is get a different reward that will you know, reduce stress and everything else that alcohol's come to symbolize for people. As we know, alcohol is really a depressant. It doesn't do you any favors at all. So let's find a way of rewarding. And again, it will start in small increments. Nothing, you know, Serena Williams wasn't winning grand slams when she picked up a tennis racket and started hitting a ball. You have to work away at it. Um, so let's find with everyone what some alternative reward might be and start chipping away at it because the more reward you get from doing it each time, the more you're going to continue doing it.
0: And so, so break that up a little bit into how that looks short-term versus long-term and how that affects progress on the Sinclair method.
1: Okay, so going back to the marathon analogy, and then I'll bring it back to the Sinclair method, the reward isn't actually finishing the marathon. Yes, that's a short-term reward, but actually when you go back and you look at how it affects people's brains and what they feel when they're recounting um, recollections at the end of it, they'll go, yes, I won that race. Oh, my God, they'll start to talk about how hard it was to train, what they went through in the training, because that ultimately has been their their journey. It's, you know, the cliche, the destination is not the important thing. It's the journey that counts. So let's put that into the Sinclair method. Let's small increments. Maybe one day you come home from work, say your reward has been to drink. And you go out and you shoot a few baskets or you start building a model or you go for a walk or whatever it is, you start small things and you build. Okay, so you've done that one day. Maybe the next day it's like, oh no, I've got to drink. I've got to drink. I've got to drink. Golden rule. You take your Naltrexone an hour before you're going to start drinking. Maybe you're drinking that next day, but the next day you go back to that other thing or you you take your naltrexone and you delay for a little bit the drinking and see if you can go out and shoot hoops instead for a little bit see where that takes you it might totally engage you enough that you think no i'm good i'm relaxed now so it's finding whatever works for you
0: okay so that um so that's in the short term Mm -hmm. um what are how how would someone like i guess the question i'm i'm asking is what what is the benefit to this in the short term that is or and that is maybe different in the long term and vice versa
1: well The short-term benefit is that you're starting to break habits. You know, as adults, we are so resistant to change. We hate it. We really hold on to our routines. It's familiar. It's comfortable. But actually, when you start to break that routine and you start to get a little creative with it, it's stimulating and it's really fun. I don't know if you've ever tried going on a walk I I always tell people that come to me to try this because they find it's a good way of discovering how effective this is. If you go for a walk and you walk the same route every single day, you're walking, but you're not really present. Now, if you go for that same walk, but reverse it, you won't even know where you are sometimes because it's so new and unfamiliar to you because you've switched it up in your brain, you're no longer on autopilot. And that's what we're trying to do with using fun, creativity, imagination in the Sinclair method is get you out of your routine, slow you down, reverse it, be present and aware. What am I doing? You know, the the habit of drinking, it can be so automatic. You're not engaging your brain. You're going to to do what you always do okay the bottles there my glass is here you're not even thinking about it but say the bottle is in your kitchen and you park your car wherever street garage you open your door you walk into your kitchen you open the bottle you take out your your glass you pour it okay what if you walk backwards into your kitchen what if you have to circle around a different way. What if you have to take the bottle and the glass and go into the bathroom and open it with no outside stimulus, open the bottle, pour it into the glass. You're gonna notice things you haven't noticed before because you've switched it up in your brain and your brain suddenly like, oh, this is unfamiliar to me. This is, you know, different and you're engaging your brain, you're bringing yourself back into that present moment. And that's when you can start to make change. So it's little tiny things we can start doing using the Sinclair method to make those changes and rewarding yourself for doing it. Hey, I did it this time. That was really cool. I got curious and it felt different. And it's doing that over and over and over again. And that's where we can start to crack the window and get some air in. You know, as you say, Jenny, Claudia will say, Katie, anyone, Bruce, anyone who's dealing with this, if you do the same thing every single time, what's gonna change?
0: And, Talk about how all of this can help enhance both motivation and quality of life and the feeling of empowerment as part of your recovery.
1: Mm -hmm. Your motivation will increase because you're getting an opioid hit, right? You're getting a little bit of dopamine every time you're playing and you're doing something new. You're getting a little reward. And if you can stop and say, hey, I noticed three new things today, or three new things on my walk, or three new things as I started to open this bottle, you know, before I before I took that first drink, you're starting to get a little bit of reward in noticing those things in that act, not the act of drinking, but in doing something different. So you're getting that. Um if you if you okay david sinclair was was dealing with habituated lab rats right they were doing the same thing under controlled conditions in a way so many of us are like those lab rats we too are conditioned to do the same things at the same time in the same way nothing's going to change right So we have to look at where we can incorporate anything in our lives to give us that reward, which will lead to change. And you can deal with your loved ones with this, anyone who's supporting you. If you don't have that, make yourself your loved one. You know, as I said, get curious. If I drink out of my left hand today, If I pour with the opposite hand, if I wait five minutes, it's just stop being the lab rat, just start to, to do little tiny changes and you will start getting that reward.
0: And, you know, and motivation can definitely assist in working, you know, alongside the chemical component of what following the medication protocol does, Mm -hmm. but, um, how, you know, how, let's see. I got caught in half a thought there and the rest (laughs) of it didn't form. (laughs) Um, So let me start again. So, um, let's just talk, continue to talk a little bit about how being playful and being curious the importance of how that really factors into motivation because this this can even extend to people you know maybe the loved ones out there who are supporting their loved one on the Sinclair method maybe they're trying to lose weight or exercise more or break some other kind of habit this is really something that that spans to any demographic anyone who's wanting to make a change so so talk a little bit about how that playfulness and creativity can really make that motivation stronger and continue and what effect that motivation then has on the change.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I work as a hypnotist as well, and I deal with a lot of weight loss, smoking, um, all these different things within that. And what it is, again, it's the getting curious. The what if I do that instead of this thing? There's no magic as we say with naltrexone and, and TSM, there's no magic pill. There's nothing that's going to do the work for you. You have to help yourself along the way. The pill's going to help you halfway and then you have to make changes the other way. So it's getting into your imaginative, creative, playful state of, okay, what changes can I make the other way? And why have I been doing things the way I've been doing it? Now you don't have to get down the rabbit hole. I'd rather have you go less down the rabbit hole of why have I been doing this and examine, examine the spiral down that one. I'd rather have you go the other way into imagination and creativity and we do that a lot in hypnosis. Um, you know, what triggers you? Why are you eating? Are do you eat overeat because it's social? Because you enjoy being around other people? Is it your way of showing love to others? Is it your way of showing love to yourself? Do you do it because you're stuffing down your own emotions? Um, and, and this is all the same with drink, by the way. Um, as you know, why? why, 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 am I doing that, right? And if you can stop to even realize why you're doing something, you're halfway there to getting out of it. Okay, so you're drinking or overeating because you're stuffing down something you don't want to deal with. What can you do instead? What's going to have the opposite effect and actually give you positive reinforcement And a good dopamine reward. Well, maybe you can cook with dopamine releasing, you know, foods that release dopamine. If that's your passion, you can look up dopamine diets on the internet and you can start doing that and that's going to release and you've done something good for yourself. That's going to release, you know, uh, Good dopamine into you and continue to reward the process alcohol unfortunately yes it's going to give you that sort of euphoric release but ultimately it's going to bring you down and affect every area of your life so you want the release that's going to give you the euphoria but without bringing you down now what's good for you exercise not over exercise but exercise <laughs> You like your golf, you're getting a hit, Jenny, off putting or whatever you're doing in your golf, making a good swing, getting the ball in the hole. It's finding those things to give you your reward other than the drinking, the eating, the smoking. You know, smoking's a, a way of de-stressing as well. Um, eating is a way of de-stressing as well. But if you're out holding the golf club in your hand, You're not smoking or eating, are you? And you're getting a reward for it. So it's finding those things. And if you like to be around other people, a lot of people smoke because they like being around other people. It's a group activity. They like standing outside in the cold with the other, it's not cold here in LA, but in London, it's cold, windy and wet, but they like it. They like standing out with their, their peer group. And smoking, it's a bonding activity, right? So find something you can do with your peer group as a bonding activity. Do an escape room. uh, Learn cooking with your peer group. Um, You know, find other social activities that you can do where you get that reinforcement that don't involve alcohol.
0: And so how does this work, you know, when someone is out in a social situation where they don't have like the control to figure out what's, what's happening. So how do you incorporate play when you're out and about?
1: Mm -hmm. Again, it's, it's getting very present, very, very aware of what's happening, what's going on. And as I said, so often we are just mindlessly going throughout our days because that's where the habituated lab rat and you wanna stop that. So again, I work with a lot of people in hypnosis, some not in hypnosis about this very situation, okay? If you are a smoker and you tell people that you've broken the habit, you've given it up, they congratulate you and they tell you, oh my God, that's amazing. I wish I could do it. Well done, you're looking after yourself. It's a filthy habit you know, you tell people you've quit heroin, oh, you're a hero. What an amazing achievement. If you tell people you don't want to drink alcohol, a lot of times the response is, well, you're no fun. What's wrong with you? Come on. Don't be such a dead, you know, deadbeat.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I had somebody um a couple of years ago, I was sitting, uh, my wife and I were eating dinner at at the bar of a restaurant because it was the fastest seating and so I was drinking a non-alcoholic beer and the bottle was sitting there and the guy who was sitting next to me was like oh what's that? I'm like well it's a non-alcoholic beer and he's like non-alcoholic why would you do that? And I'm like well because I I just can't drink anymore for health reasons and his response was oh you might as well just go shoot yourself right now (laughs) oh And I'm like, first of all, you're a stranger who literally just told me I should go shoot myself because my life isn't worth living because I can't drink alcohol anymore. How rude is that?
1: Yeah, it's astonishing to me how people have somehow glamorized alcohol to this point where if you don't drink it, you're a pariah. There's something wrong with you. You know, and really, that's not if if you want to turn around and say, What's wrong with you?
0: Oh, yeah. I wanted to turn around and say a lot of things, but well, I'm
1: sure you did. (laughs) I'm sure you did. But if someone had diabetes and they were taking a pill and someone said, Oh, what's that you're taking? So I'm diabetic. You know, this is my medication. I can't have to. Would they be shoving chocolate cake in your face? saying what's wrong with you go shoot yourself you can't eat this yeah you know it's it's just a very strange reaction but in a way you want to start to observe that because it tells you more about the other person than it ever will about yourself absolutely so so you have to become like a social anthropologist in many ways observe human behavior because it is fascinating So to go back to the question, what can you do? You have to play around, get imaginative about these situations in advance, it's like mental rehearsal. So if you know that you're going to a party and I've worked a lot with people in hypnosis for this, where they know they have social events and we've put them into the very relaxed, focused state of hypnosis and taken them through that event so that the brain doesn't know differently, by the way, whether you're in that actual event or you are just in a relaxed state imagining that event, it's as real in both situations. So we're taking them through that event and what they're going to do, and they're going to maybe walk into that event and they're going to take a champagne glass and pour themselves ginger ale the glass instead of champagne very surreptitiously some have even arranged in advance to have a glass waiting for them so they don't even have to have anyone see them do this where they've called the venue to say can you have this ready for me when i get there no one's noticed by the time people are on their second drink they don't notice anything at all anyway and that client has sipped ginger ale throughout the night with everyone thinking they're drinking champagne or they've had a non-alcoholic martini or they've had a non-alcoholic beer and other people have maybe mistakenly opened that non-alcoholic beer another can if it's in their home or wh- whatever poured it and said oh god this beer is great and they don't even realize it's non-alcoholic because it's their second or third drink you know so people stop to notice so it's really getting yourself through the first two drinks um again take your naltrexone no matter what you're going to take it because you want to be covered no matter what so we never ever forget that but you start to play around with it like what if you're the actor in that situation you're going to direct and you're going to act so the director is going to have you do this so now you're the actor and you're moving through this situation doing that and you're noticing what everyone else is doing and it's fascinating and you'll come away from that event with all these stories you never would have had if you'd been drinking all these things you would notice and if you'd been drinking you would have missed all of that
0: so what do you say to someone who says well you know i'm i'm just not that creative a person i'm just not that imaginative so how I, yeah. how do you approach somebody who has those feelings about themselves?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a self-limiting belief. And is this true? And how do you know this to be true? Did you pick out what you're wearing on your body right now? Were you imaginative enough to go out and actually buy it or order it online? Were you imaginative enough to buy a throw pillow and put it in your room. Were you imaginative enough to, you know, wear earrings? Were you imaginative enough to go out and buy a new car? And how did you choose the color of that new car? All of those are creative and imaginative, but people may forget that they're making these decisions every single day. You know, did you try a new recipe? That's imaginative. Did you try a new brand of alcohol at some point in your life, that was imaginative. You have to start getting curious and examining the minutiae of life because you're making little creative decisions all along the way.
0: So would, would you advise somebody to maybe say start journaling through their decision-making process to help them to yeah. start recognizing the decisions and creativity that they actually have because I think a lot of people we we look at our daily lives and we look at what we do every single day and we just consider it mundane whether it's mundane or not
1: um yeah Yeah, and journaling great idea jenny um It can really, again, be a reward for seeing how much you are doing that you don't realize that you're doing. Did you put on a different pair of socks today? That's creative. That's imaginative. You didn't go, you know, for the same old blue or black socks or whatever. Maybe you decided you were going to wear green socks today. That's making a creative choice. And you might forget about that at the end of the day as you're taking them off because you've already done it. But if you journal it and you say, hey, I made that choice. Or when you come home from work and you haven't had immediately gone into your kitchen and opened the bottle and done the same thing you've always done. Maybe you went and you, you played a game with the kids and had some fun there and got imaginative because kids are innately imaginative. So you've done that or you've played a game with your partner or you've started learning a new language or yeah, journaling, fabulous idea because you have a record and you're actually reinforcing in your brain again, you're reinforcing along the way, you're rewarding. I made a choice today. I made a really Imaginative to choice instead of drinking the minute I came through the door,
0: and for highly competitive people, who let's face it, highly competitive people will compete with anyone, including themselves. Um, <laughs> in fact, they're usually competing with themselves all the time. Mm. Uh, how does someone kind of make a game out of TSM and the process in order to make it that almost a competitive challenge? Yeah, without overdoing it, because obviously you don't want to to do it to the point where you're self-sabotaging. So you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself. But um, yeah,
1: good question, because one of the things that I do in sports hypnosis, and it's particularly strong with golfers for some reason, is are you having fun? That's the first question I'm going to ask if someone comes to me and says, oh, my game's gone down the tubes and, you know, I, I can't cope. With this anymore, you know, I don't know what's happening. But, and the first question you want to ask is Are you having fun? If something's become too competitive, you lose the fun aspect and you stop learning. So go back to the question Am I having fun doing this with TSM? Is this something I'm enjoying figuring out? or I'm becoming a bit too hardcore. You know, the fun is, okay, I'm spending half an hour um, learning a language or I'm going out and I'm learning tennis for an hour. And when I first pick up the racket and I hit the ball, I may be hitting it into the net, but I'm gonna do it over and over and over again. And it's fun. People are actually having fun doing this, however frustrating it is, They keep going and you get it over the net reward. So it's the same thing with TSM. Little tiny things keep hitting that ball over the net because eventually you are going to get that reward. And when people say, oh, it's not working for me and I want to give up and da-da-da. If you've had just a chink of response to it, you know it's going to work for you you've had that positive reinforcement that, hey, it worked in this situation, therefore it can work again. Keep going, keep hitting that ball over the net because you're going to, at some point, be able to play the game.
0: And one of the things that you just mentioned, um, you know, when you're talking about sports or learning a new language, you're saying, well, you practice for half an hour a day, you practice for an hour a day. Mm. How important is it for someone who's on the Sinclair method, and this is really different from abstinence based models Mm. to remember that they're only technically practicing the Sinclair method during an extinction session and living Mm. their lives the rest of the day. It's yeah. So talk, talk about how this is really parallel to those other like sports and language situations where it doesn't, rewrite your entire day and cause you to have to use effort 24/7.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. What we're doing is we're actually taking away alcohol as the big event in your life and you are unlearning drinking on TSM, but while you're unlearning drinking and we don't want to do any highly endorphic activities While we're on the Sinclair method, because, you know, if you've taken naltrexone, you don't want to then go out and run a marathon because you're going to, you know, run the risk of also extinguishing the good behavior along with the bad. So, yeah, you can learn a language while you've taken naltrexone. It's working on a different part of your brain. So you can do that without extinguishing it. You can read a book you could start cooking or something perhaps, but you don't wanna do anything highly endorphin producing while you've just taken naltrexone. You wanna schedule those activities for when you're not taking it. But eventually as the naltrexone starts to work on extinguishing the uh, neural pathways that are getting the hit from alcohol during those drinking sessions, during the non-drinking sessions, that's when you're gonna to start to promote the good stuff. So that's when you're going to go out and, and learn your sports or you know, have sexual relations or whatever that's going to be the good, positive stuff. We wanna get your brain back to its you know pre-addicted state when you're using naltrexone. And we wanna do the really good reinforcing habits when you're not using Naltrexone. So you have to be again, creative with what you're going to do when you've taken your pill. You don't wanna go out and run the marathon, start training for a marathon when you're on Naltrexone.
0: Well, and that that's also where, yeah, sometimes you need to just be creative with your timing as well because in first thing in the morning, Mm -hmm. When you're not drinking until later in the evening, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you're still it's you're not going to take your medication, wait an hour and go to the gym or go work (laughs) out. But if you wake up in the morning and you go work out every day, obviously Mm -hmm. what we're we're not telling anybody who was has always getting up and going to the gym every morning that you should stop that because you're starting on the Sinclair method because there's still, uh, beyond the endorphins, there are a lot of health benefits to that. But some people have to learn to just be creative with maybe shifting when those workouts are and the timing uh, so that they're not, uh, if, if you drink in the afternoon, you wouldn't want to go to the gym in the afternoon after you've taken your medication, you'd maybe want to do that first.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, one of the things I advise people when you're first starting out is as boring and as Monica Geller, remember off of Friends where everything was scheduled and mapped out and whatever. You want to be a bit of a Monica Geller and you want to make a schedule and you want to, you know, lay out when you're going to do the, the good activities, when you're going to do uh Take your pill and what you're going to do after that, just so you start not only, you know, we want to work on all the systems. We want to work on the visual, the audio, and the kinesthetic systems while we're doing anything, because that's what's forming new habits. So to see it, you're writing it, which is kinesthetic. You are seeing it, so you get the visual reinforcement of seeing it laid out in front of you, what you're going to do, and then the audio, just say it out loud repeat it to yourself. Okay, as, as you're writing it, I'm going to go to the gym in the morning, do such and such work during the day or whatever you're doing during the day. If you start drinking you know, at five o'clock, you schedule in your naltrexone for four o'clock or 3.30, You know, depending on how long it takes to um, have an effect on you, you schedule it in for that time before. So it's all laid out for you in the beginning. So that in a way that is kind of the habituated lab rat analogy. And then at first you are kind of seeing it all laid out. So it's very clear and then it becomes habit.
0: And uh, as we get close to the end of our time, uh, just one more time, reiterate how all of this comes together So that it makes the entire Sinclair Method process about more than just reducing your alcohol, but also improving the quality of your life.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, life has revolved around alcohol for a long, long time. And a lot of thoughts have been consumed about alcohol, the next drink, the next you know uh reward of alcohol and what we want to start doing is breaking that habit and life is fun and anyone who has controlled their drinking whether it's socially drinking now on tsm or abstinence they've discovered life's a lot of fun and the colors are better everything I do is better, it's so much more fun, and it's so much more interesting, and I never noticed that, and who knew that, you know, there was this whole life out there that I've sort of had blinkers on because of the alcohol, the need to drink, so it's saying life is fun, let's find the fun in it, let's get curious, let's be David Sinclair, let's be Roy Scapa, let's discover things for ourselves, you know, we've had them to, like, lead the way. And now let's forge our own pathways and figure it out. And everyone's an an individual. Everyone's going to find something different, but it is there. And it's figuring out what's there. And it's exciting. It really is. You know, I see people's faces light up when suddenly we've discovered, hey, something fun, I could do. Life hasn't been fun. I think I'm having fun drinking, but you know what? I was never really having fun drinking. And that's where I say, become your your own social anthropologist. Because when you go and you watch people who are actually drinking, who think they're having fun, they're not really having
0: that much fun. Sorry, I had some background noise, so I turned my mic Uh. off for a moment. I don't usually do that, and I Uh. started talking without unmuting myself. (laughs) Um, So it looks like we're almost out of time. Audience, Mm -hmm. you guys have been wonderful as always. Thank you for spending the last hour with us. Any advice that you guys are taking from today? Go ahead and put that in the chat. We'd love to hear from you. And please join me in thanking our wonderful guest, Claire Cazier, even though we couldn't see her live smiling face today. Any last words for the audience before we end our show, Claire? No,
1: I mean, how much time do we actually have? Do we have a minute? Yeah, we have a we have a minute or two because we, we got started late. Okay. Do you want me to give you just a quick demo of how imagination can work? Absolutely. How, how fun it can be? Okay. So let's just... Get ourselves out of our thinking brains and just more into a cre- little bit of a creative imaginative state and we're going to just do a couple brief, you know breathing techniques here just to relax us and get us somewhere different take us out is i want you to breathe in twice through your nose and short breaths sort of and then one long exhale through the mouth so two short breaths in through the nose Hold it, and then one long exhale through the mouth. So two short breaths in through the nose. And one long exhale, all the carbon dioxide out through the mouth. And one more time, two short breaths in through the nose. Excellent. And then exhale all the carbon dioxide out through our mouths. And just gently let your eyelids flutter shut and relax the entire eye area and face. And focus only on breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Now, just think of a peach, luscious, ripe, juicy peach, keeping your eyes closed. See this peach? It's luscious, ripe, full peach. And in your own way, see the peach's soft orange colors. Feel the soft, fuzzy surface of the peach and the firm yet soft ripeness of the flesh beneath. Now imagine you are holding the peach in one hand and a paring knife in the other. And as you cut through the flesh of the peach, you see and feel the juices running down onto your hand and through your fingers. Quickly you remove a piece and raising the juicy piece to your mouth. Feel the sweet peach juice and soft flesh on your tongue and in your mouth. Now stop and observe what is happening to you. Do you feel your mouth filling with saliva? Filling with saliva? Are you salivating? Most likely so, but is there an actual peach? No, there's only a peach in your imagination. So you can go ahead and open your eyes again, coming back into the room. And your mind accepted that suggestion to see a peach and your body responded accordingly. So that's the power of creativity of our minds. And if our minds are perfectly capable of creating new habits, if we imagine or create them, Why not? Why shouldn't we try? You can can feel, see, and taste that peach. You can do that with anything.
0: All right, well, audience, uh, let's go ahead and fill the chat area with some gratitude for today's guest. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed this discussion. Uh, Claire, we've got lots of thanks out there in the chat area. Oh, pleasure. And everybody, if you came in late or you want to share or watch the stream again, we will have today's video up on our website, YouTube, Vimeo, Anchor, and Spotify, hopefully all by the end of today. And as soon as we're able to, we'll go ahead and add the transcripts and the closed captioning as well. Next week, we're going to be joined by Dr. John Umhau of Alcohol Recovery Medicine, and we're going to talk a bit about boosting endorphins. So start thinking about those endorphin-related questions now. If you've found value in this broadcast, we hope you'll hit the donate button in our profile or head to our website to make a donation at c3foundation.org slash donate. You can follow our channel to get broadcast alerts and subscribe to our channel to go ad-free and get some bonus emoji to use. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you can subscribe to our channel for free. If you'd like to suggest a guest or topic for a future broadcast, we do have a link to a Google form that drops in the chat and is on the primary schedule page on our website. If you're on the Sinclair Method and you're looking for more peer support or you just wanna join the C3 Foundation community, we have you covered with groups on Facebook, Discord, and the Options Save Lives Forum. And if anyone is interested in coaching with Claire, she is on the YourSinclairMethod.com coaching uh, website as well. And that is it for today. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Be gentle with yourself and with others. And I will see you again right here next week on Twitch at noon Eastern. Bye, everyone. You've been watching the Options Save Lives weekly live stream hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and produced by the C3 Foundation with the support of R Street Institute and other generous supporters. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. If you have a question you want answered live on air, to make guest suggestions or to support the show, Let us know. You can reach us through our website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or on Discord. Join us each week as we continue to discuss more ways to help you build a better relationship with alcohol, or to eliminate it completely. Because recovery from alcohol use disorder is not a one-size-fits-all process. Options are available. And options save lives.